0: If you've not been with us, we have been working through a trip through the Bible, and we are actually up to uh, the book of Joshua. Last time, you remember, we were starting Deuteronomy, and I backtracked into Numbers. I'm going to do that again just a moment. I won't say who put me up to this. Remember, the book of Numbers has to do with the numbering of the population of Israel. You remember we looked at chapter 25 when we backtracked and looked at the life of Phinehas and the fact that the Israelite, a significant number of the Israelite population participated in Moabite uh, sacrifices, idolatry, and uh, uh, adultery. We didn't talk about how that is really the culmination of chapters beginning in roughly 21 and 22. Because you see, that they had come out of uh, Egypt, you remember the indicators that uh, the peoples in Palestine were familiar. They had heard about this group of people that came out of Egypt and how their god seemed to be caring for them and defeating all of their enemies, and that was certainly the case here. And so the king of Moab, Balak was his name, was aware of this and was very concerned about the fact that this... Uh, numerically large group of people would constitute a threat to his own a kingdom and country. And so, you remember he enlisted the aid of a prophet by the name of Balaam. So far as I can tell, Balaam was not a Jewish prophet. But he was a Gentile prophet. We probably just assume that all the prophets that you read about in the Bible were, were uh, Jewish or New Testament Christian prophets like Agabus. But I would, not, I would not make that assumption. God has always been an international God uh, that wants to address the entire world. And certainly, that was certainly the case throughout the Old Testament. That's why Jonah would go to the city of Nineveh. Uh, that's why God would send Moses uh, to Pharaoh, and not merely to gain the release of the Israelites, but according to uh, Exodus 3, uh, 16, Exodus 9.16, to publicize his name, his presence, throughout the world. God loves everybody. He's no respecter of persons. Therefore, he wants the entire world to have access to his will and to respond obediently. So, no doubt, uh, there were others during this period, and I think Balaam is certainly one of those. You could call him a Gentile prophet, and notice that he's clearly... Uh, familiar with the one God. Uh, he, he, shows, he, he shows that he's tainted by uh, some paganism. He, he expects divination fees uh, to be paid him in order for him to do it prophesying, but he clearly has a relationship with God. God clearly uses him as one of his mouthpieces. Uh, so much so that um, in one of those oracles that we have recorded in those chapters, um, he, he issues a prophecy of Christ. Isn't that exciting? In fact, where would you go in the Old Testament to about the star that appeared at Jesus' birth? This would be the place. And it was uttered by Balaam. Isn't that amazing? But when you read through that narrative, it's puzzling, is it not? You know, Initially he says, I'm going to... Whatever God says, that's what I'm going to do. I can't do anything except so what God says. And at the time, that occurs, And uh, it, it could be difficult to make sense then, of what's going on in those chapters. I put together a slide, though, that um, I thought would be helpful to us.
1: in his desire to function prophetically as
0: a prophetic mouthpiece for God. So that's something for you to chew on and think about. But we don't have to wonder, of course, about the meaning of this narrative and what was the problem with David. Because the Bible is just so explicit later, granted for him you have to leave this section of Numbers and uh chapter 31 will give a full indication, but then you have to move to the New Testament whole picture. And here it is. Uh, toward the end of this book, we are informed that it was due to Balaam's advice that in chapter 25, invitations were extended to the Israelites, primarily the men, inviting them by the women, the mobile women, to come
1: and participate in their humble, um, religious practices. Which involved sacrificing the pagan
0: gods of idolatry, but it also involves sexual immorality. And this text makes very funny, even though we're not told back there at the end of chapter 24 and chapter
1: 25. It doesn't come out of just saying, that hey, look, we can't stop there. Well, they look, he's coming here. It's I can't curse them like you want me to, but you can get the curse this way. That's exactly what happened.
0: with the bubble. Oh <laughs> there's certainly a lot in our own culture. Then in Jude 11, we have the same uh, basic assessment. People in Jude's day, to whom he's referring, walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. So the Bible's very explicit. In fact, let's just summarize, if somebody were to ask you, uh, you know, what exactly did of the Israelites in the matter of adultery and idolatry and he himself was very covetous very greedy and used his religion in order to try to secure financial gain so that's the best that I can do with that uh,
1: that incident now let's move to that's all the PowerPoint I'm going to do now let's move to uh, so the book of Numbers you remember
0: comes to a close uh, with the census, the second census being
1: taken, and uh, we then moved into Deuteronomy, and we talked to Luke about that last time, you remember, where this book is designed to prepare the new generation, for all the older folks have died off during the 40-year period of desert meandering. And consequently, Deuteronomy um, was intended to restate the law. To these younger people, the new generation, and
0: thus the meaning of the Greek word Deuteronomy, or the court words Deuteronomy, second law,
1: and restatement of that law. And we came back to the very end of the law, where Moses himself, God was not permitted to enter into the promised land because he had permitted himself to be goaded on the previous occasion, on the occasion where he was to. God said, you failed to hallow me. Remember
0: that terminology that we encountered in Leviticus chapter 10? Where Nadab and Matthew were executed by fire from God because they failed to show God to be holy. Well, what does that mean? To hallow God or to sanctify God, as one of the, the King James books, Well, the version,
1: show me to be holy. The only way to show God to be holy is behavior to his instructions. That's simple. I mean, that, that's such a simple teaching. And it's like, oh yeah, I not understand that. Well, obviously they don't, because you can walk into any
0: church building in, in Montgomery today, especially during the morning hour, and what, 99% of them would be engaging in actions that do not hallow God. They don't show God to be holy. Why? Because he didn't tell them to do it. It arose from their own imagination, like all false religion. So that principle pops up over and over, and there it is again. Uh, God did, I don't think God banned uh, Moses from heaven, but he certainly was not going to permit him to go in and see the promised land. Well, you remember after God buries him, unbeknownst to uh, anyone as far as its location, burial site, etc.,
1: And then turn the page to Joshua. Moses, young, understudy, and successor. Takes over the reins of the nation. And look at this chapter, Joshua chapter 1. Three times God says the same thing. You know, God only has to say something once. But when he repeats himself, he said, number one, be strong and courageous. He says that three times to me. And you see why? Here he is taking
0: over this uh, the leadership of the nation, and he's going to have a lot of
1: things to deal with, and the people have shown a pattern of behavior, the parents and grandparents would did. And uh, by the time you come to the end of the book, he kind of casts a
0: reflection upon this population as if they too uh, may show
1: signs of uh, regression. But it takes godly,
0: strong spiritual courage. Notice that the word strong in these verses is not referring to physical strength, muscular strength, but to spiritual strength, moral strength, moral determination. Uh, It would take military strength for the Israelites to do what he's been charged to do, but more than that, he's being called upon to show a type of leadership in which he makes it clear to the population that uh, our commitment here is to conform to God's will. And we're not going to be able to accomplish the things that we need to accomplish, such as the conquering of the land, if we don't do that. So that takes priority in all of our lives. In all of our lives. Are we strong spiritually and morally courageous? The other thing he said to... uh, to Joshua was stick with the Bible. Don't go to the left, don't go to the right.
1: Well, doesn't that need to be said to all of us? It certainly needs to be said to the leaders of the church. God's people.
0: But it needs to be said to everybody. If you stay on track with God's word and don't do what 2 John 9 warns, going onward and abiding not in the doctrine of Christ, proago, if you progress and think that this is progressive, this is a positive, this is superior to, for example, old worship, well, you are jumping the tracks. You're going off the rails. And that's exactly what God said to Joshua, even as he said it to many people throughout Bible history. Stick with Scripture. Don't go off to the left or the right. And Joshua does a pretty good job of that, because we have a 24-chapter book there that records the military assault of the land of Canaan. It's really quite astounding. You remember their first military target they took by simply marching around it for a week. Can you tell me what military target in all of human history, what city was ever conquered by the army simply marching around. Let's see, when God is the commander-in-chief of your forces, then anything is possible. Absolutely astounding. But you remember, even though that was a tremendous victory that just wowed and astounded the congregation of people, and, and certainly the uh, uh, the citizens of Jericho, as well as those other groups that heard what had happened, on that occasion, there was a very dark spot. One of One of the members of the congregation, one of the... Israelite uh, citizens, saw a uh, Babylonian garment, probably Pierre Cardin or something. It was really, really nice. And he saw uh, some shekels. You know, those are silver coins. And he saw a wedge of gold. And he wanted those. He coveted them and he, he took them. You would say, well, what's the problem? Don't the, didn't the army get to participate in, in um, the booty? No, God had set up an arrangement by which these things were to be devoted uh, to the service of God. A a special Hebrew term was used to describe that. And so nobody was to take any of that for themselves. So when you come then to uh, chapter 7, they moved to their next military target, a little town of Ai, which was not, you know, uh, very formidable. And so uh, Joshua said, look, we don't need to take the whole army Uh, 3,000 will do. So those 3,000 arm themselves, and they go into battle, and they are soundly defeated. I mean, they are whooped. They had to turn tail and run. Uh, 32 Israelite soldiers were killed in the process. Whenever they returned and uh, uh, informed the population as to what had happened, you remember, of course, all kinds of weeping and wailing and mourning and... uh, the elders and Joshua, Joshua himself fell flat on his face before God and made some, you know, unwise statements. You know, like, why did you bring us out here uh, from Egypt in such a stunning fashion only to die here in the desert? What are the people going to think when they, when they see the, the, the other enemies, when they see that this happened and so forth? He said enough things that God said, get up. Get up. And don't blame this on me. The problem here is sin in the camp. That's what's caused this defeat. Isn't that, isn't that something how as we go through life and things happen to us? The first thing we want to do is, God, what's going on here? When 90% of the time it's our own fault that we've brought on ourselves or it's circumstances with other people that sin and in the process friendship on our lives. Don't blame God for any of that. It's not his will that people experience those things. Well, do you remember God said you're going to have to bring the whole nation together and have an investigation and search out the culprit. And so he did so, and they they used uh, the casting of lots. Remember Solomon said in Proverbs that whenever these lots are cast, it's God who makes the decision. So he's governing this. That procedure, by the way, was used all the way into the New Testament with a selection of Judah's successor in Acts chapter 1. In any case, you remember they came tribe by tribe in order to determine which tribe had the culprit, and if the lot fell on Judah. And then they, they came um, family clan by family clan, and it narrowed it down further. And Then they went by individual families. And it came to the home of Achor, uh, Achan, and he, he admitted then, you know, it doesn't look too good for you that you wait until they've got you instead of owning up to it. And Joshua said to him, tell us what you've done, own up to it. It's the best thing for you to do in, in God's sight. So he did. He admitted that he stole those articles and had taken them to his tent and buried them. And Joshua sent uh, some runners to go to his tent and to secure those items, which he did. Which they did. They found them and brought them back. And then Joshua gave him a little speech. You know, you have, you have troubled the whole country. Uh, come on, 32 men lost their lives. And Achan was responsible for that. You've caused a great, you know, disturbance, spiritual and moral disturbance. And the only possible outcome is execution. He was taken out and executed, with those of his family that participated in his conspiracy, and <clears throat> the members of the uh, nation participated in the stoning. You know, again, this is something probably that the majority of people in the world would find unacceptable. Uh, we just can't, we can't have this. And it's only after living in a country where, at the beginning, capital punishment was far more prominent, and now we've lived through the 60s and seen it diluted so significantly that people can commit multiple murders and get essentially no punishment except to sit in a cell, and you don't even have to stay there. You can go out and lift weights, eat good food, get exercise. The only punishment is you're confined. That's it in direct contradiction to the spirit and mind of God, who have stipulated very clearly specific punishments for specific crimes. And uh, you remember how Solomon put it in Ecclesiastes, and he said, uh, because punishment against a crime is not carried out swiftly, the heart of the sons of men is set to do evil. We, we we're seeing that in our country. People are far more lawless, uh, far less concerned about conforming to law. Uh, you know, just in traffic, the way people drive, you can see that there's not that much concern about the speed limit and other things. So that's a lawless spirit that begins to creep through a civilization when laws are not strictly enforced. And the principle applies to your children as well, does it not? The, the consistency, Jeff has said in his, uh, in his series on the rearing of children. Well, God has shown us proper parental approach to things in terms of human civilization, by the way, he chose to deal with these matters. Well, that was a, that was a sad moment in Israelite history. But they continued then in chapter 8 with uh, the assault of the land. If you read through these uh, next few chapters, they, they start from a central uh, encampment and they proceed uh, to the south. They wage a southern, ca- what military officials would call you know a southern campaign, uh, instigating, uh, again, a modern term, sorties, S-O-R-T-E-E, sorties against, lightning raids against strategic urban areas. And they sweep down through southern Palestine and take several of those uh, cities, And they reassemble at the central encampment site. And then they launch a northern campaign and do the same thing. Sadly, they did not mop up all resistance. They conquered the land. But they left pockets, elements of resistance here and there uh, that would come back to haunt them repeatedly during the period of the judges because of that, that disobedience. But Joshua did a good job as the leader trying to get all of this accomplished. And notice those chapters there where God um, tells them uh, the borderlines. You know, when people in our culture say, oh, God's against national borders. He, he wants people to just be able to come and go, and and it's not Christian or loving to have borders. God drew the borders. He drew the tribal borders. He drew the national boundaries. And uh, God has always recognized that, so much so that in Acts 17 on Mars Hill, do you remember? Uh, Paul pointed out to the Athenians that um, God has appointed the boundaries for nations. And so if you just listen to the propaganda, you're liable to be led astray if you don't keep driving yourself back to what God says. In chapter 22, do you remember, um, Joshua dismissed the trans tribal groups. Remember, two and a half tribes had their, jo- had their tribal lands east of the Jordan River. So if you're looking at a map of Palestine with the, the, dead, or the uh, Mediterranean over here, Palestine proper, and then you have the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and the Dead Sea. Pretty good, huh? You're catching all this? And then to the right of that, to the east of the, of the uh, Jordan River, was those tribal lands that... A God had assigned to two and a half of the tribes. And they, um, remember they had been faithful after conquering their lands to come and join uh, the nine and a half, the main body of the military in order to conquer the, the main part of the land. Well, this was the point at which they were now being dismissed and allowed to return to their homelands and to commence their own lives. They were not gone very long before word, in fact the text says, someone said. That happens in the church. You know, someone said that's kind of a lead-in to gossip. (laughs) And that's exactly what happened here. And the story was that when they got over to the river, before they crossed, they built an altar, which would be an an alternate worship site from the one that was stipulated under Judaism in Jerusalem. Well, they reassembled at Shiloh, and they armed themselves to go to war. And they went, and they arrived at the location, and they confronted uh, those uh, individuals, and uh, said, look, (laughs) we're still suffering from what happened back there in Numbers 25. So many of our people involved themselves in these Moabite uh, behaviors, and um, here you are about to do something that's going to bring retribution from God on all of us. You know, if you don't want to live over there, then come back over here. We'll sort things out. But you cannot be allowed to, by the way, instigate changes in worship. There's our problem today in the church, all over the brotherhood. Well, uh, you remember who led that delegation? It was Phinehas, the grandson of uh, Aaron you remember their response was very quickly, wait, 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 no, no, you've got this all wrong. We're not building a, a worship site. This is a monument. Because we're fearful that as the years go by, uh, your children are going to think that our children are foreigners and not include them as part of Israel. So we want some sort of a monument you know, that proves that we are part of the main body of the nation. Well, when Phinehas and the others heard that, you know, they were grateful to God and put their weapons down and decided not to go to war. In chapter 23, we've come kind of to the end of Joshua's life. He is um, uh, putting down the the mantle, so to speak. He calls for an assembly of the elders and leaders of the people. And he delivers to them his um, recommendations And then in chapter 24, he assembles the entire nation and delivers his farewell address. And you're very familiar with this. Uh, Verse 15, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods on the other side of the river or the gods in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now interestingly, as you read the next few verses, here's the gist of what he says they respond and say, we will do the same thing. And Joshua in essence says, I don't think you're going to be able to do it. God's not going to put up with this incessant rebellion and disobedience that has characterized the Israelites from the time they came out of Egypt. And they reiterated, yes, we will. And if we fail to do so, our blood will be upon us and upon our children. And by the way, in the next to the last verse, they fulfilled the request of Joseph. Remember when we came to the end of Genesis, and Joseph died at the age of 110 and gave instructions in his will that his body would be disinterred in Egypt and transported to the Promised Land? The second of the last verse of this book tells us that they achieved that request. Well, this uh, chapter also informs us that they were faithful. The people were faithful uh, throughout the lifetime of Joshua and throughout the lifetime of the elders who were contemporaries to Joshua. But you turn the page to the book of Judges, and that all changes. And it introduces us to over three centuries of what we might call the dark ages of Jewish history. And we'll pick up uh, there with the book of Judges in our next session together. If you need to respond to the gospel invitation this evening through faith, repentance, confession, baptism, you have an opportunity to do so or to study about it. If you need assistance with that, as Christians, may we not be influenced by our surroundings so that we disobey God. Uh, these stories have you know, various purposes, certainly to show the redemptive scheme that God was working out Paul said that they're also written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Do you get that from that? Even when you're reading about people that uh, ended badly, their lives ended on earth, and it's tragic and sad, we don't know them personally, and yet all of this instruction is nurturing to our souls. It makes us more acquainted with God. It, It helps us to see ourselves in the people and they're decisions that inspired history records for us. So where else would you go on the planet to get that? You're not going to get it anywhere else. It's only when you go to Scripture that you can get an accurate, certain, authentic treatment of history and thus be able to measure your life against that and to uh, nurture and mold and shape your own spirit and the spirit of your children. If as a Christian you need to make any public... Uh, adjustment in your spiritual condition. You can do that now as we stand and sing. Today is a day
2: to There is danger and death in delaying except God's saving grace. His life on the cross He has given. Oh, come while well, yet you may. He's earnestly pleading. Oh, make no delay. Tomorrow may be too late. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. A home up in heaven is waiting. Oh, make the start today. Repent and confess and be baptized. There is no other way. Give Jesus your life and thus walk in his way. Tomorrow may be too late.
3: Please be seated. You have not partaken of the Lord's Supper. It has been prepared for you. If you'll uh, make your way up to the front as we sing this next song, you'll be served. 265, 265.
2: When my love to Christ grows weak, when for deeper faith i see then in those be stronger faith i see hills of ca
4: stuff
3: Nate, we thoroughly enjoyed that lesson, as we always do when you come forth. Especially the trip through the Bible—it's uh, been, uh, been great lessons that you've given, and we appreciate it very much. Let's turn with me to one hundred nine. One hundred nine. I have decided to follow Jesus. Let's all stand as we sing this song. And then we'll be led in a closing prayer i
2: have decided to follow jesus i have decided to follow jesus i have decided to follow jesus no turning back no turning back though none go with me i still will follow Turning back, no turning back. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry I My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back, I'll follow him.